Chapter thirty one of the Flight of the Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tibby. The Flight of the Shadow by George MacDonald. Chapter thirty one. My Uncle Comes Home. Time went on, and it was now the depth of a cold, miserable winter. I remember the day to which I have now come so well. It was a black day. There was such a thickness of snow in the air that what light got through had a lost look. It was almost more like a London fog than an honest darkness of the atmosphere, bred in its own bounds. But while the light lasted, the snow did not fall. I went about the house doing what I could find to do, and wondering John did not come. His horse had again fallen lame, this time through an accident, which made it necessary for him to stay with the poor animal long after his usual time of starting to come to me. When he did start, it was on foot, with the short winter afternoon closing in. But he knew the moor by this time nearly as well as I did. It was quite dark when he drew near the house, which he generally entered through the wilderness and the garden. The snow had begun at last and was coming down in deliberate earnest. It would lie feet deep over the moor before the morning. He was thinking what a dreary tramp home it would be by the road, for the wind was threatening to wake, and in a snow wind the moor was a place to be avoided. When he struck his foot against something soft, in the path his own feet had worn to the wilderness and fell over it. A groan followed, and John rose with the miserable feeling of having hurt some creature. Dropping on his knees to discover what it was, he found a man almost covered with snow and nearly insensible. He swept the snow off him, contrived to get him on his back, and brought him round to the door, for the fence would have been awkward to cross with him. Just as I began to be really uneasy at his prolonged absence, there he was, with a man on his back, apparently lifeless. I did not stop to stare or question, but made haste to help him. His burden was slipping sideways, so he lowered it on a chair and then carried it between us into the kitchen, I holding the legs. The moment a ray of light fell upon the face, I saw it was my uncle. I just saved myself from a scream. My heart stopped, then bumped as if it would break through. I turned sick and cold. We laid him on the sofa, but I still held on to the legs. I was half unconscious. Martha set me on a chair, and in a moment or two I came to myself and was able to help her. She never said a word, but was quite collected, looking every now and then in the face of her cousin with a dog-like devotion, but never stopping an instant to gaze. We got him some brandy first, then some hot milk, and then some soup. He took a little of everything we offered him. We did not ask him a single question, but the moment he revived, carried him up the stair, and laid him in bed. Once he cast his eyes about, and gave a sigh as of relief to find himself in his own room, then went off into a light doze, which, broken with starts and half-wakenings, lasted until next day about noon. Either John or Martha or I was by his bedside all the time, so that he should not wake without seeing one of us near him. But the sad thing was that when he did wake, he did not seem to come to himself. He never spoke, just lay and looked out of his eyes, as if it was more than his eyes that looked, if indeed he looked out of them at all. He has overdone his strength, we said to each other. He has not been taking care of himself. And then to have laid, perhaps hours in the snow. It's a wonder he's alive. He's nothing but skin and bone, said Martha. It will take weeks to get him up again. And just look at his clothes. 
However did he come nigh such? They're fit only for a beggar. They must have knocked him down and stripped him. Look at his poor boots, she said pitifully, taking up one of them and stroking it with her hand. He'll never recover it. He will, I said. There are three of us to give him of our life. He'll soon be himself again, now that we have him. But my heart was like to break at the sad sight. I cannot put in words what I felt. He would get well much quicker, said John, if only we could tell him we were married. It will do just as well to invite him to the wedding, I answered. I do hope he will give you away, said Martha. He will never give me away, I returned, but he will give me to John, and I will not have the wedding until he is able to do that. You are right, said John, and we mustn't ask him anything or even refer to anything till he wants to hear. Days went and came, and still he did not seem to know quite where he was. If he did know, he seemed so content with knowing it that he did not want to know anything more in heaven or earth. We grew very anxious about him. He did not heed a word that Dr. Southwell said. His mind seemed as exhausted as his body. The doctor justified John's resolve, saying he must not be troubled with questions or the least attempt to rouse his memory. John was now almost constantly with us. One day I asked him whether his mother took any notice of his being now so seldom home at night. He answered she did not, and, but for being up to her ways, he would imagine she knew nothing at all about his doings. What does she do herself all day long? I asked. Goes over her books, I imagine, he answered. She knows the hour is at hand when she must render account of her stewardship, and I suppose she is getting ready to meet it. How I would rather not conjecture. She gives me no trouble now, and I have no wish to trouble her. Have you no hope of ever being on filial terms with her again? I said. There can be few things more unlikely, he replied. I was a little troubled, notwithstanding my knowledge of her and my feeling toward her, that he should regard a complete alienation from his mother with such indifference. I could not, however, balance the account between them. If she had a strong claim in the sole fact that she was his mother, how much had she not injured him simply by not being lovable? Love unpaid is the worst possible debt, and to make it impossible to pay it is the worst of wrongs. But, oh, what a heart oppression it was that my uncle had returned so different. We were glad to have him, but how gladly would we not have let him go again to restore him to himself, even were it never more to rest our eyes upon him in this world. Dearly as I loved John, it seemed as if nothing could make me happy while my uncle remained as he was. It was a kind of cold despair to know him such impassable miles for me. I could not get near him. I went about all day with a sense, not merely of loss, but of a loss that gnawed at me with a sickening pain. He never spoke. He never said little one to me now. He never looked in my eyes as if he loved me. He was very gentle, never complained, never even frowned, but lay there with a dead question in his eyes. We feared his mind was utterly gone. By degrees his health returned, but apparently neither his memory nor his interest in life. Yet he had a faraway look in his eyes, as if he remembered something, and started and turned at every opening of the door, as if he expected something. He took to wandering about the yard and the stable and the cow-house, would gaze for an hour at some animal in its stall, would watch the men threshing the corn or twisting straw ropes. When Dr. Southwell sent back his horse, it was in great hope that the sight of death would wake him up, that he would recognize his old companion, jump on his back, and be well again but my uncle only looked at him with a faint admiration, went round him and examined him as if he were a horse he thought of buying, then turned away and left it. Death was troubled at his treatment of him. 
he on his part showed him all the old attention using every equine blandishment he knew but having met with no response he too turned slowly away and walked to his stable dr southwell would gladly have bought him but neither john nor i would hear of parting with him he was almost a portion of his master my uncle might come to himself any moment how could we look him in the face if death was gone from us besides we loved the horse for his own sake as well as my uncle's and john would be but too glad to ride him my uncle would wander over the house up and down but seemed to prefer the little drawing-room i made it my special business to keep a good fire there he never went to the study never opened the door in the chimney corner he very seldom spoke and seldomer to me than to any other it was a dreary time our very souls had longed for him back and thus he came to us sorely i wept over the change that had passed upon the good man he must have received some terrible shock it was just as if his mother john said had got hold of him and put a knife in his heart it was well however that he was not wandering about the heath exposed to the elements and there was yet time for many a good thing to come where one must wait one can wait john had to learn this for say what he would the idea of marrying while my uncle remained in such plight was to me unendurable End of chapter thirty one